both from Hebrews, verses chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Next is chapter 2, verses 5 through 12. Jesus made like his brothers. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified. What is the man you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, put everything under his feet. And putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of the salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. The word of the Lord. I invite you to turn also to Psalm 8. We've been looking at some different psalms this summer. This one you'll recognize, I'm sure. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and of infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swam the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Last Sunday, the uh, New York Times carried an article in their magazine section. And it was a very stirring piece. Maybe some of you had a chance to read it. To reflect on the the 400th anniversary of a fateful 
event off the coast of Virginia. It was then, August of 1619, that a ship appeared on the horizon and eventually pulled into Port Comfort about 12 miles from Jamestown. And on board the ship were, were 20 enslaved Africans who were then sold to the English colonists. It was the beginning of what would become over the next 250 years an immense forced migration of some 12.5 million Africans kidnapped from their homes, chained across the Atlantic, what was called the Middle Passage. Two million did not survive the voyage, and some 400,000 enslaved Africans would eventually be sold into what became America. As the article went on to say, by the time the Declaration of Independence was crafted in 1776, declaring that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, by the time all of that was taking place, the nation, the article said, was founded on an ideal and a lie. And we have to wonder, thinking that all through these 400 years later, what happened? What happened to the ideal? Our psalm today, this Psalm 8, it would declare, I think, forever in a day that what happened is people lost sight of the majesty of God, of the incredible and wondrous value and worth that God has endowed with each person. The psalm builds such a, a rich, vital connection between the the glory of God, and the glory of humanity. How did we get so tragically lost and lose our, our sense of wonder, our sense of awe in one another? I want you to listen maybe one more time to Psalm 8, this time in Eugene Peterson's words in the message, which are before you. He put it like this. God Brilliant Lord, yours is a household name. Nursing infants gurgle choruses about you. Toddlers shout the songs that drown out enemy talk and silence atheist babble. I look up at your macro skies, dark and enormous, your handmade sky jewelry. Moon and stars mounted in their settings. Then I look at my micro self and wonder, why do you bother with us? Why take a second look our way? Yet we've so narrowly missed being gods, bright with Eden's dawn light. You put us in charge of your handcrafted world, repeated to us your Genesis charge, made us lords of sheep and cattle, even animals out in the wild, birds flying and fish swimming, whales singing in the ocean deeps. God, brilliant Lord, your name echoes around the world. This psalm, I think, changes everything. People, I don't use a lot of oughts. People ought to be celebrated as the wondrous, purposeful creatures they are. Every one of us, every one of us ought to have that, that new baby in the room kind of approach to people around us. Can you imagine 
going out into the gathering area following worship and going up to some grizzled, you know, 45-year-old guy with his, you know, whiskers, you know, got his weekend thing going on, going up to him and said, a boy, right? Wow, so sweet. And touch his cheek. Ah, you're beautiful. You're, you're amazing. What happened? <laughs> when did we lose that, that wonder in each other? That inherent value and appreciation simply in a human being, in our midst. It all seems to come to a halting end at some point, and we, we, we too easily can just walk right by people and not see who they really are and what God is truly doing in each and every life. Not here, though. Not here in Psalm 8. We don't hear any of that. Not in the realm of of God's creative love and purpose for each of us. The Imagio Dei forges on this, this Genesis charge We're all made in God's glorious image. We're on the order above. Did you hear it? (laughs) More wondrous than stars and galaxies is that of humankind. It was all intended to be so convincing, the glory of God giving way to the, the glory of one another. They were to feed on each other. The wonder and majesty of God created what was to naturally imbue us with a wonder for one another. One theologian said that we Christians have been far more eloquent in describing what's wrong with human beings than what is right and hopeful and purposeful. In fact, he said that we know more about sin than we do about human potential. The Canadian theologian, Douglas John Hall, he wrote this. He said that the critical dimension is only one side of the matter. That the other is that as creatures of God, human beings, they're of astonishing promise and beauty who are by no means forbidden to wonder and rejoice in their own being. What happened? Do we? Do we wonder and rejoice in our own being? Have you gone out under the night sky this summer, away from the lights of the city, just to look up into the vastness of the sky, the majesty? How many stars are up there? Those who know say there are 200 billion stars in the Milky Way. And they say there are 100 billion, maybe even 100 trillion galaxies. I have no idea how stars are counted. Do you? Somebody help me out sometime. How do you count stars? I've been losing count since I was a boy. And I, you know, I, I keep having to start over and I've lost my place. <laughs> a PBS correspondent uh, Judy Valente, she's also a poet. And she says that 
when she was told that there were 100 billion galaxies in the universe, she remembers thinking that that fact alone ought to be proof of God. 100 billion galaxies. Another poet, Mary Oliver, she likes to write of what she sees on her walks in Massachusetts where she lives. This is a portion of a poem called Mysteries. Yes, it's the name of the poem. I love her writing. She's, part of it, she says, Truly we live with mysteries too marvelous to be understood. Let me keep my distance always from those who think they have the answers. Let me keep company always with those who say, Look, and laugh in astonishment and bow their heads. Wonders to lead to a, a reverence for God and for each other. I'm reminded of a girl in Sunday school. Might have been your daughter. <laughs> they have four daughters, by the way, the Babs. Did you see that? Did you know that? Their hands full, right? Pretty amazing. Talk about wonders. <laughs> I came from a family of four boys, and, you know, my mom got all this sympathy. <laughs> anyway, four girls. That is awesome, a wondrous thing. There's this little girl in, in, in Sunday school, and the teacher asked, well, how do we know there's one God? And the teacher was expecting somebody in the class to say, well, because the Bible says so. But no, this little girl, she piped up, and she says, well, because God is so big, he fills up everything, and there's no room for another God. And when we read Psalm 8, we say, exactly. That's how it is. We have a reverence for God at the wonder that is, that is God and all that God has created. From the very beginning of time, people have been looking up into that night sky full of stars, and they've wondered about who is out there. And they've wondered if anybody is out there and who put the stars there. And almost always immediately the, the follow-up question or thought to that standing or lying down underneath all of that is this other question, wondering who we are. Who is out there and who are we? 2,500 years ago, there was another poet, most think King David, and he wrote a poem, a hymn. You heard it. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I look into your heavens, the moon and the stars, who am I? Who are we that you would be mindful of us? Who are we, mortals, that you would care for us? It is, of course, this philosophical, theological question that we all ask. The scholars have always known that the question of God, who is, who's out there, is connected to this human question, who are we? And in some way, it's really the same question. If we begin to have a sense of who God is, then we understand more who we are. John Calvin would write about that, Karl Barth, more in the last century. 
They each taught that you can't inquire into the nature of God without at the same time inquiring into the nature of humankind. Same questions. Theology is always becoming anthropology, right? What we believe intersects then with who we are and how we act in the world. Calvin would say that knowledge of God is knowledge of self, and vice versa. Knowledge of self is knowledge of God. In fact, he goes on to say that it's easy, it's not easy to determine which of the two precedes and gives birth to the other. Jesus would say when asked, well, what's the greatest commandment? Love God, he said. Whole body, all in. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. One leads naturally to the other. Traditionally, Christianity has emphasized more the negative side of our story, the, the fallenness, the human propensity towards selfishness and violence, our total depravity, the old Calvinist would call it, our inability to really get anything right on our own. In the Psalms preceding this eighth Psalm, we have those seven leading up Psalms, Human beings are described as a pretty sorry lot, having many foes, facing much disaster, suffering great shame, lamenting, languishing, sighing, all these words that are part of those psalms that lead up to Psalm 8, weariness and weeping, pursued and threatened. All in all, it's a dismal portrait of the human enterprise. We're hopeless and helpless. We're under siege. But then, remarkably, Psalm 8. How majestic is your name. When I look at the stars, who am I? Yet you made us a little less than God. Crowned us with glory and honor. You have given us dominion. It's a remarkable pos positive statement about the human prospect. Who are we? We're a little less than God. That's who. It's the ultimate promotion, better than a corner office. <laughs> it's to be elevated to co-creator, to do good things, to create beautiful things, to be a part of this wonder of all creation, to be in awe of it all and of our fellow co-creators, to, to look and to marvel at the simple and complex wonder of a single life. Yes, we're people who have fallen short of the glory of God, but, but we're intended for that glory. And we're intended for so much more. You know, I was working on all this stuff this week. I was over on foothill at the Starbucks there, you know, typing away on Thursday morning. I had it rolling. It was looking pretty good, I thought. And then this guy walks in. He's carrying a baby in, his, in its car seat. And the baby was just adorable, this cute little girl. And wouldn't you know it, they sat down right next to me. I've got my books spread out. You know, I've got my laptop going coffee there, you know, I've got it, I got my little desk set up right there, and they sit right next to me, 
And I thought, oh, man, I got I to gotta get this done. I'm talking about the value of people here. <laughs> and he, yeah, he wanted to say something, and he wanted to show me his daughter. It's like, oh, okay. I kind of closed the top and turned, and we got to get to know the guy. He was born in Cairo, and little girl, six months old, beautiful eyes, and heard his whole story. He plays on instruments. He's a musician, plays the, um, oh gosh, it's like a guitar. I think I wrote it down. <laughs> like an, o, is it an olu? Or a, where did I write that? Plays this cool instrument, an, an oud. I'd never heard of it. It's like a guitar. If you go on YouTube, you can find him playing Stairway to Heaven. He does <laughs> concerts. I mean, this guy is amazing. And they just moved to Salt Lake City two weeks ago. An incredible story. Right there next to me, right in Starbucks. While I was writing about the value of people, <laughs> it was too much. What are we? That you are mindful of us, that you care for us. Look at this. Look at you. Look around. The person on your right and your left, they're incredible. They've got a whole story themselves. You know, Wendell Berry, this poet, farmer, he wrote a book a few years ago titled, What Are People For? What Are People For? And he kind of argues that this is the most important question we could ever think of. What are people for? Our job, apparently, According to Psalm 8, is to exercise dominion over the work of God's hands. We are indeed co-creators. We are supposed to manage this place, to responsibly steward the creation, starting with our own lives. The biblical answer to who we are and what we are for is, is all there on the very first page of the Bible, that human beings were made in the image of God and are given this high responsibility for the rest of creation. What are people for? Human beings are, are for giving dignity and honor and high responsibility of, for creation and for each other. When things start to go badly, it's when we've forgotten that honor and glory and dignity and responsibility. When we've forgotten to, to turn away from our thing, and to turn and to meet this amazing person right next to us. Things go wrong in our creation when, we, when people, we forget who we really are. When we forget the majesty of God that is built right into us and the glory of one another. Things go wrong when people forget our God-given responsibility to to manage, to take care of, to faithfully be engaged in God's creation in this world, in our city, our community, our church, our families, our personal lives. Here we are 400 years from August of 1619. And I think, man, there's only a few days left in August 2019. But may these few days of this August 
never see the dismissal of God's glory in others that was seen 400 years ago on the shores of Virginia. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he watched in dismay, you know the story, as German intelligentsia, the academic community, the lawyers, judges, and finally even the church, they all kind of sold out to Nazi ideology some 70 years ago and turned away as thousands, then hundreds of thousands, then millions of Jews were crowded onto boxcars and taken to extermination camps. You know Bonhoeffer's story, this Lutheran pastor, he, he came to America in those days leading up to the war. People urged him to stay here in America, seeing what was happening in Germany, and he was tempted, but knew he needed to go back to return to Germany, to raise his voice in protest, to be a caretaker, a steward, to join the resistance. Eventually he was arrested, and a month before uh, it was, Germany was liberated, uh, he was executed. Bonhoeffer said this from his Nazi prison cell. He wrote that the sin of respectable people is fleeing from responsibility. In Jesus Christ, Bonhoeffer wrote, we have seen how much God values human life. In him we have seen how far God goes to demonstrate the glory and the honor in each of us, that we are worth the life of God's Son. And he wrote, in Jesus Christ, we see what a human life, what its potential is, that he is the mirror that we look into. His life crowned with glory and honor, exercising dominion and authority. That's what it looks like. In these last days, Hebrews says, God has spoken to us by a son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. He sustains all things by his word. For us, Jesus is the love of God, God's value for us acted out. It's God's hope and intent for each life, and we only need to look to him and to see how that value is shown to us, what it looks like, a life lived out to see the glory in the other, not fleeing responsibility, but with a great wonder for it all. It's like holding a watermelon and just smelling the sweetness that God has created. Look around. The guy next to you in Starbucks. The partner next to you at home. Amazing how God has crowned us all with glory and honor. What an ideal. May the ideal never again become a lie. God has given us his own son as a mere image of his own glory and called us into that, that we might then be a reflection of him. Amen.
Let's pray together. Lord, as we do look around, we see these amazing creations. Children of God. And we give you thanks. Give you thanks for our lives and the life of the people around us, for each life around this globe. Lord, may we hold up that ideal, honor all people as we're about to say in just a few minutes. Thank you for Jesus. Help us in our in our following that we would love the people as you love the people. In his name we pray. Amen.